All right, we are accepting calls this hour from time travelers only. If you have traveled in time or you are presently a traveler to this time, then we want to hear from you. Otherwise, the phone lines are closed, but for that group, they are certainly open. Uh, with that in mind, uh, top of the morning to you on the wild card line. You are on the air. Hello. Hello. Everybody, how you doing? Welcome back to the Infinite Fringe. My name is Billy Ray Valentine, Billy the Kid, and I have a returning guest here who somehow found his way back to the Fringe. I'm, I'm going to ask him how the trip was, but really, really uh, very excited to have Mr. Robert W. Sullivan on with us today, ladies and gentlemen. He is uh, the author of several books, uh, Cinema Symbolism 1 and 2, which I own. And uh, the Royal Ark of Enoch, also, which I own. But there's Cinema, Cinema Symbolism 3, which we hope to touch on a little bit today. And there is a Cinema Symbolism 4 coming out. He just told me that. I didn't know. Got to go ahead and get 3 and 4 as a bundle. Mr. Sullivan, how are you doing? Welcome back to the Infinite Fringe. How are you? Well, thank, yeah, I'm very well. Thank you, Billy, for having me on. It's my pleasure to be here. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, returning to the Fringe. Uh, my pleasure. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. So, I mean, it's been so long since I've spoken to you, since we had you on. And uh, I, I was telling you off air, and I told you that I would talk about it on air real quick because it's 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 really, it, it's an experience that I'll never forget. I forgot the movie, at least a lot of it, but I'll never forget what happened after I had Robert on. I had Robert on. And he was breaking down the Royal Lock of Enoch ritual in in the cinema, right? And he said you'd be able to find it. And there were, you know, little clues that he threw out there. Maybe he can recap, you know. Um, and then I'm like, okay, so we finished our show. It's one of the most popular shows I had at the time. Um, thank you, Robert, for that. You know, everybody went nuts for that episode. And, um, and you know, so my son uh, drags me out to the theater. Um, I don't want to go. And he's like, I want to go see Ready Player One. And I had zero interest, zero interest in Ready Player One. Like, I just did not want to watch it, right? And I sit down there. First off, the film is fantastic, right? It's, it's, it's incredible. Second, so much of what you said, so much of what you detailed from film to film was embedded in Ready Player One. There's several layers to the onion that is that movie. But I was just sitting there in awe of so many things that you detailed that, that that I got to see, like literally right after we did the podcast. And and this was like a few years ago, you know, so I, I don't have the recall on that beyond the, the feeling that I had when I was sitting there and watching it. Now I can go back and watch the movie and I'll probably pick it back up. But Ready Player One is, is fantastic. And it has a lot of these things encoded in it. In my opinion, Mr. Sullivan, you told me if I'm wrong. I know you, it's been a while since you've seen it. So I'm not expecting you to, to, you know, give out the entire plot of what happened scene from scene. But I mean, tell me a little something about this. Am I, am I off base? 
No, I don't. I don't think you are. I I saw. I saw. I have Ready Player One here on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. To be honest with you, I've not watched it in several years. Right. Um, I touched. Right. I touched on the movie um, in Cinema Symbolism Three. It does get an honorable mention in there. It does have a Gnostic bent to it right. um, because it, it doesn't. Anytime you're dealing with a film that deals with an alternative, an alternate reality, mm-hmm. you know. And in this one, it was the Oasis. Um, in Ready Player One, you're, you're kind of inherently dealing with a Gnostic, a Gnostic film. Um, so I remember that. And the one thing I was telling you, you know, prior to the interview that always stood out with me was the very end of the movie, which was when, um, when the one guy solves, when he gets the, all the keys and he, and he unlocks it, um, and, and he gets the Easter egg and, and the egg is symbolic of, of many things. I, I get into that, but then he's in the, in the room with, he's in the room with the, the one guy, I think it was Halliday was his right. name. And uh, that whole scene, that end scene there in, in Ready Player One is the, you know, allegory of, you know, the, the Plato's cave, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, metaphor where, you know, be, be careful of what you're seeing because what you're seeing may not be real. Mm. Um, and, and this is so, so true in the, in the reality, in the world we currently live in. Um, you know, be careful of these institutions, be careful of um, these paradigms that you're buying into, because they may not be what they, you think they are. Um, that's, of course, the, the the allegory of Plato's cave. And that's very apparent at the end of Ready Player One. Um, right. It's a movie I very much liked. Um, again, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. I haven't watched it in a couple of years. Um, so I would definitely have to go back and revisit it. Of course, the one thing that just jumps off off the page that I do remember, and I mean, you could write a book about uh, this on its own, is all the you know '80s references. <laughs> you know, all, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's all it is is one pop culture reference after another, right, after right, another, right. after another. But I did like the movie very much. It's, it's a very good movie. It's well made, and uh, um, yeah, like I said, I do touch on it in Cinema Symbolism Three and CS Three. But it, you know, I don't want to go t- too much more into it because I'm in the same boat. You know, right. I, it's been a couple of years since I've seen it. So right, 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 and and you you make reference to all the the '80s references in that movie. Some of my favorites is Godzilla. I don't know if we can call that an '80s reference, but I'm going with it. Uh, Back to the Future, uh, uh, the car, the DeLorean was was there, of course, right? And and you uh, did a hell of a job at breaking that down the first time you came on the Infinite Fringe. Now, since we've done that, and, and uh, People that have been here from the beginning, they know the deal. Um, I had to take down a bunch of episodes for copyright strikes and I because I was using um, copywritten music, you know, and and that was one of the ones that I had to take down. But what I'm going to do is soon when I get a little bit of time, I'm going to put up the classic fringes and, uh, you know, edit them up so it won't be a problem and put that back up. But you did an excellent job. And in your book at breaking down uh, Back to the Future, was that's a very, a very... uh, it's loaded with symbolism, that movie. And I didn't know anything about it until you. Go ahead, sir. Oh, yeah, no. Um, Back to the Future was a movie that I, the, I did the whole trilogy in, right. uh, in, in, the first, in the first book. And, yeah, I mean, there's, um, there's so much going on in that. In fact, I'm actually working on um, a third edition of Cinema Symbolism, and we revisit it. Um, there's some things I want to tweak, and there's some, especially some things I want to add regarding the archetypes with that movie. Um, but you no, know, that one again is 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 one that is just you know you know uh, has a lot going on. It let's just leave right. it at that. No, and um, right. you know, I mean, I, I very much like the trilogy. It's it's a good series of films. Um, and they're classics, right? Yeah, of course. I want you to re-explain to me because i've had it in my brain for for years now and i was like i gotta i gotta ask robert about this on air i want you to re-explain what what the what is this the the symbolism behind 88 miles per hour 
You broke it down. Right. Well, the, the number eighty-eight and mm. eight in general is a number that you will you will find re, that that turns up in a lot of movies, um, mm. and, and it, it's a number that um, has a lot of meaning uh, to it. Um, and again, what what I am always stressing in my books and on podcasts such as this is it's context. You mm. have you have to look at the uh, context in which it's presented. Um, and that gives you your answer. So, for example, I'll get to Back to the Future in a minute. Right. Uh, take the movie Mother. Um, this came out a couple of years ago with Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem. Very good movie. I liked it. A lot of right. people in it. Very symbolic. Um, I mean, lots of under, undercurrents. It's a very Gnostic film. She plays the Sophia character. And mm-hmm. if you if you watch the movie, you'll notice that everything in the house they're living in is eight sided. Every everything is has number eight <laughs> associated with it. And of course, this is in this instance is a reference to what's known as the Ogduad, uh, which is the eighth Kabbalistic sphere of you know spiritual perfection where Sophia dwells. And of course, the mm-hmm. Jennifer Lawrence character is a Sophia like figure. So hence we have the number eighty eight in. In Back to the Future, we have the 88 miles per hour. And th- this ties into the um, the clock striking, the, uh, the, the lightning striking the clock tower, which is right. 10.04. Um, and, of course, this is drilled into your head over and over again. And, 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 and the whole thing with Back to the Future is essentially a retelling of Egyptian mythology where ha- Marty is the Horus character. Uh, George is the Osirian figure. Lorraine is the Isis, you know, virginal figure. Um, Biff Tannen is Typhon. Uh, you know, the, 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 the set figure. Um, so you get a lot of Egyptian, you know, motifs in this thing. And uh, the one thing with the 88 miles per hour that was always, always fascinating was um, it, it's a solar reference. It refers to the sun and uh, you know, Horace Marty is of course, you know, the sun God and uh, the lightning strikes the Hill Valley, Hill Valley clock tower, 10 Oh four. And of course, that number ten oh four is significant. It could, if it were, it was ten oh three or ten oh five, none of this would work. It's ten oh four is a refer, reference to the date of October fourth, ten oh four, October fourth. And on October fourth, that means there's eighty eight days left to the solar calendar, eighty eight days left to the year. Hence, the um, the DeLorean has to hit eighty eight miles per hour, mm. uh, you know, to 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 break the space time continuum. Um, it also ties into the number eight. Um, is uh, the Lemnus Gate is the symbol for space and time. Um, if you take the number eight and turn it on its side, um, like you'll find on the Magician Tarot card, which is, again, sort of a reference to Doc Brown. He sort of personifies the magician figure. Right. Um, he, you, you know, again, you're t- tying in with the number eight. Um, if, you, if, you, if you really have the eye for it, um, if go watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and when Rufus <laughs> shows up, which was George Carlin, right. um, when they get in the phone booth, and they want to time travel to activate the phone booth. They hit the year that they're going to, and then they press the one key, which is the Lemnus gate, which is the number eight turned on its side, which symbolizes space time. Um, so again, it's multi-layered, um, the number eight and number 88. And uh, you'll, you'll find that, um, you know, turning up in cinema, but again, it, it just depends on the context in which it's presented because it can have multiple meanings. That's amazing. Also, I should point out, that it's also uh, the logo for the infinite fringe, oh, <laughs> the number go. eight <laughs> laid on its side, ladies and gents. Um, but but why, Robert? And I want to get into Halloween because you told me that Halloween Ends was loaded with this. Um, and I want to get into a couple of other films that I want the Joker. I want to talk about the Joker, right? Um, sure. And, and uh, have you seen any of the Infinity Wars movies? The I mean the uh, the Marvel superheroes what is it uh i forget civil war and uh 
No, no, I, 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 I haven't seen any of those. I, right. I, I get asked about them frequently, and uh, it goes back to my childhood. Uh, Billy. Right. When, I, when I was growing up, for whatever reason, I was always drawn to the DC comic figures, uh, oh. heroes, Batman, Superman, right. uh, you know, the, you know th- th- that, that crowd. I, I never really got into the Marvel Universe that much. Right. I certainly had nothing against it. I'm not knocking it. But Spider-Man, Incredible Hulk, X-Men, that that never did anything for me. So um, I really, I really kind of don't really do much with with the the, the, with the, the Marvel, Marvel ones. Stuff. Okay. Yeah. Did you see? Uh, and, and like I said, we'll circle back to everything I spoke about. But did you see uh, Wonder Woman? Those were all, well. The first one was okay. The second one was god awful. I, you know, I have missed the Wonder Woman films. Oh, good for you. Um, yeah, I, I, I have not. You know, it's it's. There's always there's always that one or two movie right. that just fall through the cracks. Um, and then, oh, you don't know, worry you, about you it. You know, oh no, no. I mean, you know, I, I could go on. That you know, I mean, I remember. Um, you know, in 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 well, the one um, I remember from the early '90s, which was Jacob's Ladder, which was mm. one that I, I I took on in cinema symbolism too. Very very symbolic. Uh, you know, very very uh, overloaded you know, with occult themes and, you know, undercurrents, things like that. And, um, uh, I believe Jacob's letter came out in November of 90 and it was, it was years. Um, it was one of those movies I always wanted to watch and everyone told me how great it was. And, um, I I didn't get around to seeing that till like around 2001, 2002, 2003. And what was so strange about that movie was, um, I had seen the ninth, uh, no, it was not the ninth gate. Um, the sixth sense, mm. um, the one with, that's an uh, awesome Sh- right. well, it's an awesome movie, but the problem is I saw that in the theater in 99 and mm-hmm. I hadn't had the advantage of seeing Jacob's ladder. And then when, when I watched and I, I liked the night, I, I liked the sixth sense. I thought it was a very good movie. I'm not knocking it. But then a few years later I saw, uh, Jacob's ladder. I mean, you just realize how much Shalaman took from really? that movie. Damn, now I gotta go see Jacob's Ladder. You make oh, me no, want to see you, movies, Robert. Oh, if, you, if you have never seen, if I've you never have never seen Jacob's Ladder, yeah. the the Sixth Sense is a complete knockoff of it. I mean, it's yeah. it's a, it it bars from it from start to finish. Wow. Okay, Jacob's Ladder. It is this weekend. You know, <laughs> along with The Shining, yeah, I, well, I have to, I have to watch The Shining on Halloween. So then oh, I'll watch course. Jacob's Ladder as well. Um, but but let me let let me let me uh let's not go too far off. I think it's fascinating robert that that you're able to sit down and watch a movie and and find all of these things i'm not thinking this well not prior to you anyway i'm not not thinking this when i'm watching a movie like i sit down and i'm like oh you know like i i started watching what no what's a good one that i can let's let's talk about back to the future i wasn't thinking about any of that i was watching the movie and enjoying back to the future of course i was a child but but beyond that, like several of these movies, you know, I, I just I would have sat there and watched them with not with nothing, not thinking about like right. if I saw a mother, I'm not thinking about there's eight sides to this room. H- how do you do that? That That's amazing. Like, what do you sit down and, and just see it at that moment or, or do you pause them? Like, what what's what's the process here? Sure. It's a great question. Uh, it depends on the film is the answer. Um, some movies. I can watch movies just for purely entertainment value um, with, with, you know, just um, usually for me, it's, there's something in the movie that's a tip off. Um, There's something going on in it. And once I get alerted to whatever that is, the other stuff just starts falling into place. Um, We were talking before the interview. um, I've seen it twice now was the, um, is this recent Halloween movie, Halloween ends. And, and when I started watching that, I mean, things just were, that's one where things were just flying off the screen. I mean, where, I mean, I, I I understood where they were going with this. I understood 
you know, what they were playing around with with this. A lot of people have missed. I mean, that movie's been out for a couple weeks now, and um, there's so All much, right. you know. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Rob. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Okay. If you haven't seen the movie, <laughs> shut this off. Fast forward. I'm not going to put uh, uh, timestamps on the, the description because I simply do not have the time. So if you haven't seen the movie and you do not want this ruined for you, stop listening to the podcast um, and, and come back later. Or I don't know, maybe I will put time stamps, but don't don't hold me to that. OK, but just check check the, the description below. And if I get around to it, I'll do it. All right, Robert, let's talk about it. I'll tell you full disclosure. I was in the living room watching um, Halloween ends and turned it on. I was pumped to watch and I fell asleep and I woke up when it was over. So it is what it is. Not because of the movie. It's because I was dead tired, sure. right? So, um, my whole family saw it, and they thought it was dope. Anyway, go ahead, Robert. What, what stuck out about this movie? Well, well, like I said, uh, just to finish off your question, it, it's, 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 there's certain things in the movie that may tip me off. Um, I may have to watch a movie more than once to sort of pick up on what's going on. Halloween Ends was not the case. I was on board with this thing. I mean, I understood everything they were going on that was going on on this thing, what they were playing around with. I mean, and, right. um, you know, I mean, there's just I don't I, I won't give the whole movie away, but, um, you know, just just from the opening credits where, you know, they're in the blue, the periwinkle blue. Uh, that's an homage to a couple things. Number one, most obvious, it's Halloween three. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the color used on the Halloween three, three credits. They use the Halloween two fonts for, you know, for Halloween kills. And they used the Halloween fonts for Halloween 2018. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Same no, font, same, same, same thing. Right. Um, but the, of course, the, the, the periwinkle blue harkens back to Psycho, which of course is one of the main influences on the first Halloween movie. I mean, of course you had Sam Loomis was the doctor. Sam Loomis is right. the boyfriend in Psycho. Um, you know, Marion Chambers. Chambers was the last name of the sheriff. Marion is the, is the Janet Lee character. Marion Chambers is the nurse that Loomis hangs around with. Of course, Janet Lee is is the is the heroine, the female lead in Psycho. Her daughter, Jamie Lee Curtis, is the you know female lead in, in Halloween. Lots, lots right, of overlap. Right. So of course, in 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 Halloween Ends, we have to have the Periwinkle Blue. Um, that's Psycho, right? I mean, Periwinkle Blue was uh, uh, Mrs. Bates's favorite color. Um, the overbearing mother, the ogre mother figure. And of course, we had that in Halloween Ends. That's Rory's or, or Corey's uh, mother. She wears the periwinkle blue, uh, you know, nightgown. Um, that's a, a, a mnemonic taking you back to Psycho. Um, I also like the the Halloween 3 um, homages. Um, of course, the villain in, in, in Halloween 3 is Connell Cochran, C.C., um, C is the third letter of the alphabet. CC is 33. Um, that revol- revolves around the lunar cycle. And if you watch Halloween 3, you know the moon is critical to that whole movie. And then, of course, in, in Halloween Ends, we have the same thing with the villain, uh, Corey Cunningham, CC, a reference to Connell Cochran, the letter C again. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this was, and, and then again, I'll just briefly, I'll, I'll get into it a little bit, was yeah. the, the minute that, um, so I was talking to you about this off air. The minute that the Corey figure talks to Allison, that's the granddaughter, and he says, mm-hmm. I've killed somebody, um, from that point in that movie, all the way up into the end, when Michael, in the final battle scene with, with Laurie, from that scene to that to that end, everything in the middle, in, the, in, in that area, I felt like I was watching a David Lynch movie. I mean, mm-hmm. you'll say, and that's intentional. You'll see the reference to Lost Highway with the headlight 
you know, you know, shining on the road as, as, as the, you know, roads coming forward at night, right. you know, seeing the lines in the road. Um, I mean, I like, I like it how, you know, it's the exploration of the dark side, you know, you have the Charles, how Charles Starkweather uh, thing going on with, with Corey and Allison. I thought that was very good, but, but most importantly, um, and this is the thing that a lot of people weren't picking up on is if you pay attention to this thing, um, it begs the question when he's going into the sewer, is Michael Myers even there? Um, mm. Or is this a figment of his imagination? His imagination. I did right. see that. You know, I did think about that before I fell asleep. Because that's very right. early I mean, on in the movie. Go ahead. Is, is Michael there? I mean, this this whole right. thing harkens back to kind of if you want to, if you want to draw a parallel to when, um, you know, it's like Luke on Dagobah when he goes into the cave and finds Darth Vader there. I mean, that's what this whole thing is. It's a play on his dark side coming alive. And right. is Michael even there, or is he just coming out of this cave? And his dark side's more stimulated, more, it's no longer latent, it's no longer dormant, you know, and he's becoming this, this killer. Um, and there's subtle hints to this, if, if you really pay attention to it. Um, I love the homages, obviously, some of them are, you know, noticeable to the, to other John Carpenter movies. I mean, the whole thing with, you know, with, with, with Corey, um, I believe that's a reference to Rory, you know, and, and, you know, where Michael is now Christine, the car. I mean, right. you can see that parallel, the whole thing with the homeless person being sort of the thrall for Michael, um, harkens back to a Prince of Darkness where the Alice Cooper homeless person was sort of the gatekeeper of the evil inside the church. Um, so you, you can pick up on that. So no, th this was a movie, um, that was very psychological. That was very dark. I very much enjoyed it. This is the sort of movie that I kind of like to watch, um, and, you know, really like to pick apart. So for me, I very much liked Halloween ends. Um, of course people don't, you know, a lot of the diehards, uh, aren't, aren't fans of it. Cause they'll say Michael's not in it enough. Um, I didn't have a problem with that. And the reason was, is well, the one thing I'm constantly hearing is, oh, there's not enough Michael, or there's not enough Michael, there's not enough Michael Myers. Well, my response to that is this. I mean, if you're looking for a movie where Laurie, where several years have gone by, Laurie has sort of gotten on with her life, Michael appears, starts terrorizing her and killing people around her. Um, I mean, I've got news for you. That movie's been made. I mean, it's called Halloween H2O. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you want to see that, seriously, I'm not being facetious. Right, right, right. I mean, if you want to see that movie, it exists. It's called Halloween H2O. It's not a bad movie. And if you want to see that, go watch that. If they had done that in Kills, all these people complaining would have just, if they had done that, they would have said, oh, this is just a remake of H2O. So, you know, they were kind right. of in a lose-lose situation right. me personally i love i love the last three halloween movies i loved 18 i love kills um and i loved uh uh ends oh and one more I'll, I'll just leave it at this um i won't spoil the whole movie but don't worry but, about it i already warned them and i'm gonna put it i'm, well, no, and I'm again, definitely putting it in the show notes go ahead I, 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 this, this is something that you I, that I picked up on kills right. and it also plays out in ends um is you have a loads of tarot symbolism uh mm. in these movies and if you watch kills you will notice they are constantly focusing on the radio tower um and of course this harkens to the tower card of the tower um, but also, this is also, it's multi-layered. This is also an homage to The Fog, um, another another Carpenter movie where, you know, the radio station, you know, is a character in the film. So um, I love Halloween Ends. I love all three of them. Give me a little more on the tarot. Oh, sure. Well, how yeah. about Michael Myers, the devil, right? Um, mm -hmm. At the very end of the film, um, you know, he's pinned down like the devil tarot card with the one mm -hmm. hand up and the one hand down, um, you know, because he's the devil. <laughs> he's the monster. Right. Um, and again, this this ties into the color of the um, opening credits, the periwinkle blue. If you really know your movies, you'll know this is the exact same color. Um, King, uh, King, 
Kubrick used in the opening credits of The Shining. And of mm. course, we have Jack Torrance as the devil tarot card with the one hand up at the one hand down in the photo of the Overlook Ball. Right. So, right, 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 right. So, I mean, right. I mean, we have a lot of tarot. If you, if you watch Kills, I mean, if you, excuse me, if you watch Ends, mm. I mean, they don't, they don't even hide it. I mean, you have the, um, the, the uh, uh, Kylie Richards uh, character, uh, Lindsay Wallace, playing around with the tarot card. So, I mean, they're kind of telling you, they're kind of giving you the hint. Giving you, know, you hey, a hint, right. Yeah, you know, keep an eye on this as you're watching this. That's amazing. Now I have to, well, I was going to rewatch it anyway, or watch it for the first time because I fell asleep. You know the deal. But, um, but now I really want to watch it, and I'll probably go watch the last two. I've seen them, but I need to rewatch, you know, with with, with a fresh eye before I you know, dive into to the latest one. That that was a that was really cool, Robert. That was a really cool analysis on that. Well, thank That's, you. Um, but all right. So before we get in, I want to get into the Joker. Maybe a little bit of Black Swan, um, because that's where we left off the last time. I was supposed to watch Black Swan. I still haven't watched Black Swan. <laughs> oh, that's so, all right. Yeah, but I want you to break it down. Um, but but also before we do that, and I, I'm just very excited to to ask you tons of questions right here. If I feel like if I seem like I'm all over the place, no, I don't care. Um, the Prestige is my favorite movie of all time. Have you seen it? I have not. Oh my gosh. Okay, so homework for Robert Sullivan. You must go watch The Prestige. First off, you I think you will enjoy it. It's just the greatest freaking movie ever made. Um, but uh, I want I I'd love for you to you know, to watch it with, with that fine eye that you have to tell me everything I've missed. I had to watch it three times to get everything in it. I couldn't do it the first time. I did some of it the second time and the third time. I think I got everything, but I am not sure. Um, it's just, there's just so many layers to it. Um, sure. It's, it's fantastic. Okay. But so to what end, why are they doing this? Right. We, we, we can we can get into the conspiratorial thing, right? That it's a it's a revelation of the method, and they're putting it out there and all this other stuff. But at this point, um, a, a lot of this, and 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 you are. Uh, last time we spoke, uh, a thirty second degree Freemason has that changed? No, no, I'm still a thirty second degree. Okay. Um, the the thirty third is honorary. I have to. I would have to be invited for that. Right, and, right, right. Um, you know, I don't see that forthcoming anytime soon. Okay. All right. Well. Um, so um, it's been popularized in, in films now to the point where does it always have a meaning or sometimes it's just people uh, copying and being trendy, right? When they put some of the rituals in or, or attempt to do it. Cause I mean, if, if, if you're going to put something like that in, right, that has, it, it carries some knowledge with it. Um, so if you, you know, some people just, throw symbols in for no apparent reason, maybe, or maybe I'm just missing something, but I think it's been popularized to the point where people do that just in pop culture, not necessarily movies. To what end? Why, why are these, is this artistic, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's a, a, a wink and a nod to those who can catch it or does it have a deeper meaning in your opinion? Oh, it, it's all that. Um, I mean, it gives the movie um, a much deeper meaning. It, it turns it into modern mythology. Um, I should point out, and I, I've, been, I've said this on numerous other shows, so I have no problem saying it here. Um, this is nothing new. 
Right. Um, the encoding of arcane themes into pop culture is nothing new. Um, this predates Hollywood. Um, you will find this in the works of, of the 19th century American authors such as Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Herman Melville, Emily Dickinson, um, Nathaniel Hawthorne. Um, you'll find this encoded in the works of uh, Mozart. You'll find it in uh, Richard Wagner. Um, and most, of course, you will find it in William Shakespeare. Um, you know, you know, or Shakespeare. I, I guess I, when I say the name William Shakespeare, I should, I'm making air quotes uh, right now. Um, <laughs> you know, likely Sir Francis Bacon. I mean, you have all sorts of things right. going on in, in those things. I mean, the the, the Merchant of Venice is is uh, uh, is Christian Kabbalah meets Hebrew Kabbalah. Um, I mean, we have all sorts of you know Barone in Love Labors Larts is Giordano Bruno. John Dee is Prospero. The Capulets and the Montagues are the Pazzi and the uh, and the Medici families of, of Florence. I mean, there's all sorts of occult. Uh, things going on in, in the Shakespeare's plays. And a lot of them are answers to or responses to the plays of Marlowe, who is, of course, the counter-reformation agent doing all the, all the bidding of the Jesuits. Um, so, you, you know, you, you know, this whole idea of pop culture being used as sort of psychological warfare, psyop, whether it be Marlowe or Shakespeare, um, this is nothing new. Right. Uh, and again, it, you'll find it in movies. And again, you know, so why, why do this? Um, um, it, it, it turns the movie into a legend. It, it turns the movie into uh, mythology. Um, it's very powerful. It's very potent. I mean, here we are um, doing a whole podcast on it. I've written books about it. I've written three books about it. Um, and I have another book on the way. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's like playing a chess game with these people. They put it in there. Um, they know what they're doing. I mean, the, the, what, the one thing that I, I've always, I, I always found um, interesting is one, one of the offenses of, of this is they'll say, oh, well, these people just don't have the knowledge of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, you know the, the, this is beyond them. Uh, that is total BS. Um, I, I, I was watching uh, the director's cut of Donnie Darko, mm. uh, which is a fantastic movie. Um, yeah. I just love that film. And um, if you've never seen it, let me just say this. If, you ever, if you've never seen Donnie Darko and you decide to watch it, by all means, get the extended director's cut. It's, it's much more easy to understand. Um, but at any rate, uh, there was one of the versions of it where they had the um, – when you got the Blu-ray or the DVD, they had the commentary by uh, the director, I believe Richard Kelly. And he's doing the commentary on and he's just talking and all of a sudden um, and he just branches off and he says, oh, well, this is, of course, all the world of Joseph Campbell. This is a cult mythology. This guy's the threshold guardian. This is the I mean, he just, you know, bang, 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 bang. I mean, you know, like I said, this is these people are very well versed in this. Um, So, you know, it it takes the movie and it it turns it into something, um, you know, you know, a piece of art um, as far as I'm concerned. And again, uh, you know, you know, like I said, whether it be Shakespeare or. Um, you know, Mozart or Wagner. I mean, you don't even have to go into um, into that world. I mean, you can just look at works of art by people like Da Vinci, you know, the right. Neoplatonists. I mean, uh, the, you know, if you look at the Da Vinci works, I mean, a lot of them encode different, you know, Neoplatonic, you know, astrological, you know, aspects relating to the New Testament. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, it's, 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 it's really nothing new. Um, and it's very powerful. At least I think it is. So, so that's oh, why yeah. it's done. No, and it, uh, you know, it, it definitely makes it more interesting to sit down and I mean, watch. It, you know, and, and I'll just add it, it it's psychological. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's powerful. Um, I mean, I, I, the one thing I talk about in Cinema Symbolism 3 is, I mean, the whole Exorcist movie is a psyop. Uh, I mean, that movie is a CIA psyop from start to finish. The um, Exorcist. 
Yeah, and if you if you read the book, you'll understand why um, that movie is is entirely a metaphor for the transition of the 1960s into the 1970s. It right. is a complete psyop from start to finish. Wait, and, you got to uh, tell me more. You got you got to tell me more about this. Go ahead. Go well, ahead. the guy the guy who wrote it is, was a CIA block operative named William Peter Blatty, wow. and um, the whole the whole the whole thing with the the. The, the 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 exorcist is the demon the the, the the demon in the little girl personifies the 1960s the radicalism the priests represent the sun priests are the state and the whole thing represents the casting out of the radicalism of the 1960s and welcoming the decadence of the 1970s it's the suppression of the radical the radical you know you know ideals the, the revolutionary wow. ideals of the 60s being suppressed by the authoritarian state um, and you know you have this tranquility of the 70s that you know you know smash you know it's smashing the 60s it, it, it's a psychological movie it's a psyop um, right. And it works quite effectively. Um, it's basically designed to completely quell the radicalism of the 1960s and welcome the decadence of the 1970s. That's what that whole movie is about. Jesus Christ! So, so, so it's not about a little girl getting possessed. Well, it's about it's about that on a it's it's about that you know exoterically. Right, right, um, right, I mean, right. there's there's a there's a lot. I mean, I, I've broken down the Exorcist. I mean, we could do five hours on the stuff on the Exorcist. Really? I mean, I mean, where do you, where do you want to start? Um, fa father, I was just on. I mean, I get the exorcist is probably one of the movies I get asked about more than any other. Mm. The, I mean, the one thing I love about it is the father Karis figure. This is the, um, Jason Miller is of course the Christ figure to the little girl. He's the savior figure. Um, and if you watch the movie very carefully and you watch the movie with an esoteric eye, you will notice he is constantly in a state of ascent. Um, he's always moving upward. Um, and again, you know, this idea is the idea of a spiritual ascent. Um, he is surrounded by the number 33, of course, that's the age of Jesus at the crucifixion. And if you watch it carefully, you will know when he comes onto the scene, onto the movie for the first time, he is ascending a flight of steps from 33rd Street um, in, in New York onto the subway platform. Wow. The number 33 repeats, and it repeats very, very cleverly. Um, one of the things that freaking puts in there, and I, I've watched this movie a thousand times, and I just picked up on this recently, is if you remember the movie, and you got to think back, it's at the party scene. This is the scene where, the, where Reagan comes that and pees on the floor right before that if you remember they're on the piano singing a song and if you pay attention to the lyrics of the song it that they don't make any sense they're singing about uh something about toity toyed and toyed um and you'll be you'll be sitting there listening to it and it's like, you know what what the hell are these people talking about <laughs> finally one day right. i thought you know what are they talking about so i went you know i did what anyone else would do i went to google typed this <laughs> in um and you know where I'm going with this, of course. Uh, Toity toyed and toyed is 1920s New York lingo for 33rd and Third Street. Um, so there's our 33rd reference again to wow. you, know, you know in in the movie. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, there's just all sorts of things going on in that movie. I'm just giving you a couple of examples. Um, great, great film, one of the all-time horror classics. Very appropriate we talk about it this time. Right. Of year. You know, right. I, mean, I should just say Happy Halloween, Billy. Uh, by the way, get that out of the way. Happy um, Halloween to you too, sir. Well, thank you. Um, so no, it's uh, it, it, it's stuff like that. When I right. see stuff like that, that's the stuff that like you know I know that I'm really dealing with an expert. I'm dealing with a grandmaster, and uh, you know that's when I know I'm dealing with a movie that has oh, a, a lot a lot of stuff in it. And again, this this same this was the same. You know, it, it's it's some movies I watch and I can see some stuff going on. But it's those it's those type of movies, movies like Midsommar or or The Exorcist or Joker or Halloween Ends, where I know, you know, okay, these guys are really gonna start messing around with me. Wow. 
Amazing. I oh, almost want to. I'll that? give you another good one. Here, I'll give you another go. exercise. Come on, come on. I'll give you another exercise one for free. And I mentioned, I've mentioned this one a couple <laughs> podcasts. Because right. the, the guy who is the, the, the filmmaker right now who is the exorcist junkie is a guy by the name of Ari Aster. And he did Midsommar. He did another movie about demonic possession called Hereditary. If you watch Hereditary, um, that movie, all that all his movies do is is they foreshadow. It's one foreshadowing thing from another. And I know exactly where he's getting it from. He's getting it from The Exorcist because The Exorcist has one of the best, if not the best, foreshadowing scenes in all of cinema. And I'm talking about the scene. You've seen it a thousand times if you've watched the movie. It's the scene where... Karis, this is Jason Miller again, is it is at Georgetown University and he's in the language lab and he's playing the tape of the girls, you know, speaking in the funny language. And the guy says, yeah, that's English spoken in reverse. If you pay attention to that scene, um, it, the, 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 the initial shot of him is, is through is outside the room and it's through a glass. And you'll see a Japanese word written above it, um, written above the language lab. And I believe the word is something to the effect of Tuskegee. Um, you can't miss it. If you, if you watch the movie, you'll see it. It stands out like a sore thumb. Teschetti. Hmm. If, if you know what, if, if, if you have no Japanese, um, that word in, in English means help me. It's a hmm. Japanese word that means help me. What's the very next scene is when Karis goes to the house and there's the little girl in bed sleeping and what pops up on her stomach, but help me. It is one of the oh. best examples of foreshadowing you will ever find in a movie. Ari Aster, who did Hereditary, that's all his movies are, are foreshadowing. It's one scene, foreshadowing another, foreshadowing another, foreshadowing another, foreshadowing another. And I know Esther is getting that from that ex from that scene in The Exorcist. Right, in The Exorcist. I remember when you described, oh, man, it just came back. And that that that's creepy. Like, really creepy. Oh, my gosh. No, but I'm not, I'm not, um, damn, I need to start watching these films. I mean, I don't have time to do it now, but at some point I got to do this. I just got to sit down and watch. I mean, if it, uh, for Halloween, I'll probably rewatch The Exorcist. If, if, if you're into Halloween and you want to watch some good Halloween right. movies, I'll give you some recommendations. By Tell all me. means, I mean, you can't go wrong with the classics. I mean, Halloween, right. The Shining, the is Shining a of course, right. The Exorcist. I'll give you a couple other ones. Um, is, uh, of course, the two Ari Aster movies, Midsommar and Hereditary, and especially Hereditary. I think that, I think that's a very, very good movie. If you like The Exorcist and you like movies about demon possession, you'll, you should love Hereditary. Right. And, and the other one is... This is one of my all-time favorite Halloween movies, and it's extremely fun to watch this time of the year. And I, it's just a wonderful film, and it has some stuff going on in it. It's a movie that came out, I believe, in 2007, 2008 by Michael Doherty called Trick or Treat. Um, if, if you haven't seen that and you love Halloween movies, give that one a shot. That's, that's one of my all-time favorite uh, Halloween movies. Trick or Treat, absolute classic. Mm, okay, I'll watch that too. I'll try to watch that. Now, um, since we're on this on this road now uh, about Halloween, before we get to the Joker, and I think I'm I'm almost positive we touched on The Shining the first time around, but this this is not up. That episode isn't there. So let's let's discuss The Shining a little bit. I love this movie, right? And and throughout uh, uh, you know the alternative media and esoteric circles, it it, it has a lore with it right the popularity of, course, of it of and everybody knows the deal with this movie but still um i i love it right and i love hearing about it and 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 uh, i'd love for you to break it down for the people just a little bit give them a little bit on the shining sir 
Sure. Well, I mean, of course, the whole thing, the one thing that's popular with The Shining, we'll get into it. I get into this in Cinema Symbolism 3, right. is, of course, did Kubrick film the moon landing footage? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because this is actually depicted in a James Bond movie called Diamonds Are Forever, which came out in 1971. And this is where Bond breaks into Area 51 um, in, in, in the Nevada desert and they're faking the moon landing. They're filming the moon <laughs> landing footage. Um, <laughs> So, so, so there's some precedent with this, but here's the smoking gun with this. Um, and this is what I, I, I don't think a lot of people are aware of. People say, oh, yeah, this is just a conspiracy theory, you know, things like that. Um, you know, you know, it, it's just, you know, whatever. And of course, we're talking about the scene where the little girl or the little boy, little girl, little boy stands up, has the Apollo 11 sweater on that goes to room right. 237. The, the, the moon from the earth was 237,000 miles away at the end at of that the time, 1970s, right. right at that time. Right. So this is, this is what that's tipping that this is all off of what a lot of people aren't aware of. And of course the theory was, or is um, that, that the government, you know, NASA watched Kubrick's strange love 2001 loved it, knew he could film it. Um, so that's why they retained him. But what's, what's very interesting with this is, and this is sort of a smoking gun on this is a movie that, Kubrick made before The Shining was a movie that came out in the mid 1970s called Barry Lyndon, which uh, Mm. is set in the Napoleonic era. And um, Kubrick wanted to film, I don't know, you have to know a little bit about movie making, wanted to film scenes in that movie exclusively lit by candlelight. Well, if you know anything about making cinema, you can't do it. Um, It's impossible to light a scene uh, just by candles. It doesn't come out right. It's always too dark. If you watch movies from the 30s, 40s, 50s, where there's where people are supposed to be in a darkened area with a candle, there's always a spotlight off off screen that's illuminating the scene. Then, you know, of course, they blow the candle out and they cut the light off. Um, things like that. It can't be done. NASA, believe it or not, had developed a, le- had developed a lens uh, that allowed you to film um, exclusively by candlelight. It, it, it magnified the light it was a filter that magnified the light and you could do it. And believe it or not, Kubrick actually borrowed lenses from NASA to mm. film Barry Lyndon. So, of course, it begs the million dollar question. I mean, why is NASA lending you know, movie equipment lenses to Kubrick? And, of course, the answer is he worked for him. Uh, you know, he filmed the, the moon landing footage for him. So, so, you know, it's not as far fetched when you are, when you know that, um, that Kubrick was using NASA technology to film Barry Lyndon. He clearly had a working relationship with them. Um, so, you know, on that note, it's not, it's not a stretch to say that, you know, maybe they went to the moon, they went to the moon, but couldn't film there. So they just had Kubrick film, film the footage in the studio. Certainly very possible. Um, as far as the shining itself goes, yeah, I mean, this is one I, I, I bring me a second, Robert. Have yeah. to stop you. Don't mean to interrupt. We'll jump right into the shining right after this. So oh, yeah, the sure. moon landing, right? So uh also in addition to that, and correct me if I'm wrong, um uh, NASA gifted him, right? A, a, a camera or, or something of sorts, right? That his daughter has. At least that's the legend. Is, yeah, that, I, is that familiar to you? Yeah, a little bit. I know he used the lenses to film Barry Lyndon, so right. that's documentable. So um, you know, so you know, what is what do you feel? Your opinion, did we make it to the moon? Oh, probably. I think so. I just don't think they filmed there. I think they went so, to the moon, right. but I just uh-huh. think they filmed they filmed the footage probably in a studio. That's the wow. likely explanation. So we've never seen the, the real footage. We've only seen the Stanley Kubrick footage. I don't think there is any footage because I don't think you could film there. Um, wow. I don't think at the time they could film there. Right, um, right, right. I mean, how are you going to light it? I mean, you, you have to have mm-hmm. a light source. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if it's physically, I mean, if it's possible to, to, to film there. So, you know, I think they may have made it, but I think they just 
filmed the footage in a studio. That's the likely explanation. Right. Wow. Okay. The Shining. Go ahead, sir. No, um, but like, uh, you know, I, I, The Shining is one of those movies kind of like The Exorcist. I mean, we could talk all day about this. Um, and, you know, the one thing that's really key to understand The, the Shining is, 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 is Kubrick envisions the Overlook Hotel as an Ouroboros, as, as, as a snake biting its tail, as a, re, as a recycling, a, a recycling uh, event or location that just everything is doomed to repeat itself. So in order to convey this, he repeats things over and over again. And that's all the movie is. It's just one giant study in repetition. Um, he, he picks numbers, which do have meaning. And he just, I mean, he just repeats doubles and, 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 num and, and things just over and over again. I mean, the number 12, Jack throws the ball against the wall 12 times. Uh, he hits the door 12 times with the ax. Uh, Wendy and Danny take 12 turns in the hedge maze. I mean, doubles. There's two sets of twins, the little girls, and then the ones almond passed on the way to the apartment. Um, there, he passes when Jack's driving to the hotel. Uh, he passed four vehicles, two are moving, two are stationary. Jack has two 10s and two 20s in his wallet. Um, there's two mains or whatever it is. There's two... Uh, um, uh, Cities mentioned whatever it was uh, I can't remember off the top of my head um, when he's talking to Lloyd the bartender. Uh, you know what does he say? Right. Uh, you know uh, it's it's the two cities that he mentions, one here and one there. I can't remember off the top of my head. But but if if you watch the movie and you read my books, it's just all repetition uh, from start to finish. Um, and again, the whole purpose of this is uh, to convey. Um, you know, that the, that the overlook is just this doomed cycle meant to repeat itself over and over and over again. Um, it's a great movie. I, I love it. Um, Kubrick is really an expert when it comes to, uh, you know, veiling, you know, you know, shrouding his movies in, you know, esoteric, you know, and arcane themes and, and things like that. So fantastic movie. Um, you know, again, this time of the year, you want to watch The Shining at some point. Um, but again, it, it's really, if you really want to understand that film, you'll understand that it's just, um, a series of repeating things over and over and over again and doubles. Um, that, right. That's how he, that's how he, he does that. All right. We, we are winding down. Uh, you know, it, it, it feels like we've been on for five minutes. It's gone by so quickly, <laughs> you know, um, I want to hit a couple more. The Joker uh, in, in the, in your DC, uh, in your DC line of work, since you love DC, I mean, I guess that's why you saw the Joker. What I still haven't seen it. I'm I'm way behind. Right, right, right. Well, no, we can. Uh, I'll just touch on it again. That's one that's you know. I mean, you can ruin these things for me. I don't care. No, I right. won't. I won't. I won't ruin it again. It's it's a very it's a very deep movie. Um, right. It has a lot going on. It's multi layered. It's a very movie that kind of reminds me of Black Swan. It's very uh -huh. alchemical. And uh -huh. what I mean by alchemical, it has to deal with transition of the self where. If you think of Black Swan, she's this, you know, kind of sexually frustrated, lonely ballerina who lives with the mother and turns into this demonic, horrible Black Swan monster. Mm -hmm. The Arthur Fleck character is sort of this loner, pathetic loser, stand-up comedian figure who lives with his mother. Um, but both mother figure figures are are sort of domineering. Um, and of course, you know, he uh, metamorphosizes into this crazy serial killer. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, uh, you know, very dark film. The, the Joker, I've mentioned this on other shows, the Joker face paint, uh, his makeup is based on John Wayne Gacy, the serial killer, right. um, his Pogo the Clown makeup. Um, Gacy wasn't aware of this. Uh, it was subconscious, they think. Um, psychiatrists, uh, you know, who have studied Gacy, if, if you if you look at Gacy as Pogo the Clown and his Pogo the Clown makeup, it's it's the two 
it's the two dark triangles around the eyes and then the grin, the real sharp grin. Um, and if you, if you, if you listen to psychiatrists talk about this and clowns, the one thing clowns always try to avoid is, is triangles and sharp edges. Um, and the reason is, is because it terrifies children. Um, and if you look at Gacy's and, and psychiatrists have talked about this, if you look at Gacy's, you know, Pogo, Pogo makeup or patches, same thing. Mm -hmm. um, patches, the clown, Pogo, the clown, it's, it's meant to resemble a, a human skull. It's, it's, you, it's, it's designed to re resemble a death's head. Um, and Gacy was probably doing it subconsciously. It may not have even been aware of it, but, but the Gacy uh, clown makeup is actually designed to terrorize children, not entertain them. And of course, you know, this should come as no surprises. You know, he murdered however many it was and buried them beneath the crawl space of his Chicago home. So uh, the Arthur Fleck Joker makeup is modeled after Gacy. Uh, very disturbing, very dark. Um, it's 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 a movie that I haven't watched in a while. I, I wrote about it in Cinema Symbolism too. I have a very lengthy chapter on it. In fact, um, I'll tell the story real quick. When when Cinema Symbolism three was complete, um, I actually saw Joker and Midsommar back to back, and I was so impressed with both those movies. I actually halted uh, the publication of Cinema Symbolism three to incorporate them in the movie. Uh, excuse me, into the book, and then I released it. Um, so, so if if you read CS three, you'll know that there are very lengthy uh, portions, chapter portions, dedicated to Joker and both Midsommar. Um, very, very dark, deep movies. Very deep movies. Incredible, sir. This has been an incredible uh, hour so far. We're almost we're we're close to hitting the hour mark. We're we're, we're not there yet. Um, let me ask you one more. Mm -hmm. Uh, the fourth kind. Have you ever seen it? No, no. Okay, that's fine. That's my one of my favorite <laughs> movies. How about Shyamalan? You like Shyamalan a lot, or no? No, I, I know, don't know. I, know I know we. Uh, no, M Night. M Night Shyamalan. Does, oh, 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 oh. Right. Uh, I, I thought you were taking. No. Uh, well, he's okay. Um, mm -hmm. the 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 Sixth Sense is his best one, but the right. problem is a lot of that is comes from right. uh Jacob's Ladder. Right. The ones he did after that, I can't say I'm a big fan of. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you know, I, I thought some of them were kind of just draggy, and I really, I, I really. After the sixth sense, I just after that I'm not really into his work so much. Right, right. Um, right. So, so my answer to that would be no. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I always liked the sixth sense. I thought it was a good movie until I saw Jacob's Ladder, and when I saw that, I was like, oh, you know, wow, he really did kind of you know lift a lot of things from this movie. So, I I enjoy the first three. I mean, uh, Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, and uh, forget the other one. Um, but I liked it. Uh, it's the alien, the one with uh, Bruce. Oh, no, signs. 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 There you go. That's with Mel Gibson. Yeah. Right. Um, but I saw old recently uh, and that was OK. I didn't have I didn't have big expectations for it. Right. But, uh, it, it was all right. It, it was not a bad movie. But this is fantastic stuff. And, you know, when when uh, when you guys are sitting down watching movies, you will never look at them the same. Go out and get Robert's books, man. You know, listen to his interviews wherever he is. He always drops gems. It's always exciting to have Robert on. Thank you for coming on the Infinite Fringe uh, Halloween edition, I guess. It, it wasn't supposed to be this, but it turned into this, Robert. Thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate you. Uh, oh, tell, you. The, tell the people yeah. where they can find you. Go ahead, buddy. No, well, thank you, Billy, for having me on again. It was my pleasure to be here. You're always a gracious host, and anytime you want to have me back, uh, I'd be more than happy to come on. Um, if you like the if you like the show, of course, check out check. You can find me on the web at my uh, at my website. Uh, it's my name, 
Uh, my name is Robert W. Sullivan the fourth, and for the fourth we have the letter I, the letter V, Roman numerals. So my website is that it's Robert W. Sullivan IV, the letter I, the letter V.com. All connected, all lowercase. Robert W. Sullivan IV.com. From there, uh, there's links to purchase the books. You can get them in the print edition or the ebook. Uh, they're on all the major online retailers: Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Books a Million. Again, you can get the ebook, the Kindles, the Nooks, or the print edition. They're always available. Um, there's information about me my biography, information about upcoming shows I'm going to be on, a podcast that I am on, links. Um, this show will be posted there once it goes live. Um, by all means, it's a very easy site to navigate. Again, www.robertwsullivaniv.com. All connected, all lowercase, robertwsullivaniv.com. And again, thank you, Billy, for having me on. It was my pleasure. And uh, anytime you want to have me back, um, always, uh, you know, uh, uh, no problem. No, of course, man. We got to have you back soon, especially after I watch some of these things. It's just going to be me going on and on and on about how you were right. <laughs> we'll do that for an hour. Hold on, Robert. Do not hang up the phone. Hey, it is the Infinite Fringe, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for tuning in. See, I've, I've, been, I've been trying. I've been trying to pump out episodes. We had three in a row. This is four in a row, and you're going to get this one a little bit early uh, because of Halloween. So... So it's, it's going to come out a little bit early so you guys can enjoy and watch and, and, and you know, eat chips, watch with the family and, and, and break down these, you know, these, uh, you know, the occult symbolism and, and the sub stories, you know, the behind all of this. It's fantastic. It's always good to do. All right. You stay tuned for more. We're going to try to pump some out for you. OK, it is the Infinite Fringe. Billy Ray Valentine, Billy the Kid, you know where to find me. The Infinite Fringe .com and the Infinite Fringe on Apple Podcast, of course. America Unplugged at 12 p.m. Eastern every Saturday on Rockfin. And if you don't want to catch it there, you can catch it at AmericaUnplugged.com with Tony Arterburn and Don Jeffries, ladies and gents. Big shouts to Adam the Farmer, who loves The Shining, too. I think he's going to get a kick out of this show. Uh, Jack Allen, what's good? And John Brissom, what's going on? My dude, the odd man. You know, all the people that uh charlie robinson what's up jimmy jean I'm, I'm missing so many people but i'm just saying what's up okay enjoy halloween have a lot of jolly ranchers take it easy do not burn the place down while i'm gone okay bye-bye